And so we come back to the book of Acts, chapter 4 to be precise. And we want to take up verses 15 to 22 together, but we want to have a couple of review concepts from verse 13 and 14. You may remember, I hope that you do, that the manifest power of the Lord Jesus Christ either bothers you or it emboldens you. The manifest power of Jesus Christ bothers even a Christian when that Christian sees the manifest presence of Jesus Christ and power of Jesus Christ as being in competition with the person's own power. The Christian or the non-Christian who wants to be seen as powerful and doesn't really regard Christ's manifest power as something beautiful gets bothered by Christ's manifest power. But on the contrary, the born-again, spirit-filled Christian gets emboldened by the manifest power of Jesus Christ. And I trust that's you, and I trust that that is me. And so in our passage today, the religious heavyweights in the Jewish nation are trying to stop two apostles, Peter and John. They've healed a lame man from birth in Jesus Christ's manifest power. They've preached, Peter's preached a strong sermon in the power of Jesus Christ's manifest, and they're trying to stop it. They're trying to shut it down. They're trying to make sure that their power as religious aristocracy in Judaism would not be eclipsed or lost. And so what started as the first form of trying to stop these apostles was that they jailed them because they couldn't have a trial legally, Jewish trial legally by daylight. They posed them in the daylight, couldn't try them in the daylight, jailed them overnight, and the next morning they brought them before the heavyweights, the Sanhedrin, the current high priest of the day, the former high priest of the day, and some of their kinfolk. The heavyweights came out. Look at verse 13, please, with you. Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw, that is the opponents, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful conclusion? They said, these guys aren't trained, these guys aren't educated like we might be, but they're bold. The only logical deduction from their boldness without their education and without their training is that they've been with this one whose manifest power we've seen heal a 40-year-old man that never, ever walked. They could tell that these uneducated and untrained men had been with Jesus. I just want to say to anyone listening that would find this relevant to them, it doesn't require education or training to effectively serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Although both are useful and helpful. We've been talking about Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the baby dedication portion. Charles Haddon Spurgeon conceded to be the most influential evangelical preacher of the 19th century. He was never formally trained theologically. And he was never formally ordained to be a pastor either. Yet God Almighty chose to use a Charles Haddon Spurgeon for worldwide impact on the manifest power of Jesus Christ as found in the word of God's record. Verse 13 again. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Yes, they did. It was the boldness of these uneducated and untrained men named Peter and John that caused the high heavyweight opponents to Jesus Christ, to look on them and to marvel. They were actually speechless. They had nothing they could say. 
because beside them all was a 40-year-old man who had never stood, a 40-year-old man who had never walked, a 40-year-old man who had never run, and he was standing upright, ankles and legs strengthened, not just standing, but he could walk. You know, the boldness of the apostles being linked to being with Jesus, verse uh, 13. And when they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You know, fellowship with Jesus Christ is going to show in your lives and in mine. It was the boldness of Peter and John, which was directly linked to, the, to their fellowship with Christ. And so it is for you and me. Some years ago, three female missionaries in the Philippines were executed by guerrillas. One of the guerrillas who was in the firing squad for these three female missionaries said to them what I thought was an odd question that he reported he asked. He says, so are you ready? And the three women said, could you just give us a little time? The executioner reports that what he saw was the three women spending some time reading the Bible together, sang a song about Jesus together. They prayed together, and then one of them said, now we're ready. And they calmly walked into a line, faced the firing squad, and the man says, and then we shot them. You see, having been with Jesus, they were bold. They weren't afraid to die. How's your fellowship with Jesus? That's an answer that's linked to the book. Are you in the book? Are you letting God speak to you through the book? How's our fellowship with Jesus? You see, Peter and John lacked diplomas, but they more than made up for that with their devotion to Christ. They didn't need a diploma, but they did need devotion. So it is for us. There are words that I hope I'll never hear any of you say to me. I hope some of you will never say this to me. I'm just a layperson. I hate that. Don't ever tell me I'm just a layperson. If you're saved, you are the temple and the house of the Holy Spirit full time. He can't be evicted. You house the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of God. The author of Scripture lives inside of you, meaning to control you. Because the author of Scripture lives inside of you, he can help you to understand what he's written in Scripture. You can understand the Bible. You don't have to be trained or schooled or educated necessarily. Nothing against that. But you can understand Scripture. There was an old janitor at a seminary that was sitting on a bucket in a back hallway, and one of the highfalutin chairs of one of the systematic department of the seminary, the chair of that department, walked by the older man who was the janitor sitting on a bucket on his break. And the professor asked the janitor, what are you reading in the Bible? He said, the book of Revelation. And the prof goes, can you understand that? The man says, yeah, I do. I read it to the end. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Please don't ever discount what God can do through you and apologize that I'm not clergy. You are going to preach sermons to people I will never get to preach a sermon to. 
You are going to live Christ before people I will never get to live Christ before. My role to be obedient to the New Testament model is to equip you in the word of God to do the work of the ministry where you live, where you work, on your street, in your families. So don't ever say, I'm just a layperson, and don't ever apologize. Well, I'm not clergy. Please don't do that. Verse 14 again. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They couldn't say anything against it. The object lesson of Christ's manifest power was standing right in the midst of them. It was an open and closed case. The manifest power of Jesus Christ could not be denied. And so these heavyweights who otherwise shot their mouths off were silent. They didn't say anything. Instead, they conferred together to save face. They had a huddle of the heavyweights to try to figure out what they should do to save face. And so in verse 15 through 17, let's follow in the text, 15 through 17. But when they had commanded them, that is Peter and John, to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, for what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them from now on that they would speak to no one about this name. Please notice three things quickly from this holy huddle of the heavyweights opposed to the manifest power of Jesus Christ. Number one, they knew they had to do something with Peter and John. They couldn't just sweep it under the carpet. They couldn't just ignore it. They couldn't just hope it'll fizzle away. They knew they had to do something. I like that. Peter and John's lives and ministries demanded a response of those heavyweights in opposition. I've told you that martyr missionary Jim Elliott has a wonderful quote. Quote, Father, make me of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost or a, on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. End of quote. That's a potent prayer. That prayer, if you were to pray it regularly, would revolutionize your Christian life. Maybe some of you, as I've raced through the quote, would say, I'm willing to pray that right now. If you are willing to pray that, make that your prayer from your pew right now. Make this your prayer. Father, make of me a crisis man or woman. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men or women must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Amen. That's a wonderful prayer. So back to the heavyweights huddle. So in the first place we've just said, they knew they had to do something with these men who followed Jesus. And that pushed them to a decision to some course of action. Verse 16 saying, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, 
that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who are in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So that was the first thing that they did. The second thing was that these heavyweights believed that intimidation could stop the spread of Jesus Christ's manifest power being seen and being preached. And so they said, well, intimidate them. That's what we're going to do. We'll just make life hard and we'll make them scared, verse 17. But so that if that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So we'll threaten them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to threaten them severely. The third thing they decided in their huddle as heavyweights was that the name of Jesus Christ was a threat to them. When you boiled it down, when you boiled the miracle down, when you reduced it to its irreducible minimum, what that really was threatening them was this manifest power of Jesus Christ represented by Christ's name. The name of Christ, they knew, was a threat to them. You know, in Jewish thinking, that was perfectly logical because in Jewish thinking, the name of an individual stood for his character, his works, And so when you said the name of a person in the Jewish mindset, it stood for that person's authority, their person, their character, and their works. It was the name of Christ that these guys were most threatened by. And we see this in the second commandment that God gave to Israel and to us in the Ten Commandments. In that third commandment of the Ten Commandments, God said in Exodus 20, verse 7, the following, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The name of God is critical. We represent the name of God, church family, wherever we go. Wherever I go, I take Jesus Christ with me. Wherever I go as the pastor of this church, I take you all with me, Calvary Bible Church. That's how it is. Now, holy God, according to the third commandment of the Ten Commandments, holy God will not stand for his name being besmudged or trivialized or spurned. He won't stand for that in the past, he won't stand for that in the present, and he won't stand for that in the future. So the question I have for me, and then you can listen in on the question I'm asking myself, because it's really a question for all of you who name the name of Christ. Will God's name be carried properly by me among believers, but also among non-believers? Will I carry the name of Christ, because I'm called a Christian, and so are you. Christian literally means a little Christ. We had a little Christ being dedicated, but we name the name of Christ and trust him for salvation. We are Christians. We are little Christ. We take the name of Christ wherever we go, in every conversation, in every deed, in every thought. And so back to this heavyweight huddle. To review, number one, they knew they had to do something with Jesus' man and Jesus' message. Two, they figured that intimidation could stop both. And three, they were threatened by Jesus' name, that is, by Jesus Christ's authority, by his character, by his works. Verses 15 to 18. But when they had commanded them to go aside 
out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them to no man to speak to no man in this name, 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. See, they brought up the name of Jesus again, the heavyweights. They circled back to the name of Jesus, telling us and emphasizing for us that's what threatened them. The name of Jesus Christ threatened the religious heavyweights in Israel. We should love Peter and John's immediate response to the threat that was made to them. Verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. I love Peter and John's immediate, without hesitation or uh, fear, their response to the, to the whole thing, the threat and the command not to speak about Jesus. Essentially, their response had four parts to it. You ready? The first part was they told these heavyweights, God is the highest judge, and he is. Second, they told them, you're demanding we listen to you more than we listen to God. Third part of their response, you should know that that's wrong. They had the religious upbringing. They grew up in Judaism. They should have known it was wrong to demand that the apostles listen to their words as human beings more than to God's words. And fourth, they said, we can't be stopped speaking about Jesus. We can't be stopped speaking about Jesus. That was their final answer. Boy, it was a good answer. Then notice that the heavyweights, threats, and additional threats didn't work because the text records there was absolutely no further punishment for Peter or John when they objected and just said, you're not going to shut us down. Now, did you catch why the apostles were not punished? Verse 21, listen. This is why they were not punished. God used something. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, watch it, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. I love that. The reason God used amongst the people was the people glorifying God for the evident miracle that had been done in the manifest power of Jesus Christ to heal a man who couldn't walk for 40 years. And those who saw that and couldn't deny that gloried in God. And the heavyweights could not oppose any further. Now, this 40-year-old man who could never walk from birth, the doctors couldn't heal him. But God did. There was no other possible conclusion the crowd could make. God, through his apostles, had healed this chap that they saw begging every single day for 40 years to get food because he couldn't work, he couldn't stand, he couldn't walk. And so when all of this is peeled back, Calvary, when all of this is peeled back, the heavyweights feared the people, but they didn't fear God. The heavyweights 
were respecters of the crowd, but they did not respect supremely as they should have God. And because the heavyweights respected the people, they wouldn't dare to go against popular opinion that was clear because their status as religious and civil leaders in Israel was on, at stake and their bank accounts were also at stake. We might say, and this is not a political comment against the current government, every government falls into this temptation, whether any country of the world. It would be like this. It would be saying like they wanted to keep their seats in the House of Assembly so they didn't rile up their constituent voters. That's what the heavyweights were thinking. Now, here is the great and motivating thing, church. When we glory in God as we're supposed to, when we glory in God, it still works that we can cause salt and light to inhibit the social, moral corruption of our society. If you and I will choose to glory in God most, consistently, fearlessly, relentlessly, our glorying in God can inhibit the darkness and the rottenness of a culture. Did you see all the Planned Parenthood abortion mills that were shut down last year? Christians stood up, protested, wrote their congressmen, Abortion clinics, many abortion clinics were shut down in the United States. Have you heard of the Rutherford Institute? The Rutherford Institute is a group of a consortium of lawyers in the United States that fight for civil liberties, particularly for Christians. They have overturned court cases with their lawyers because as they glory in God as attorneys, God can inhibit civil liberty corruption even in the United States. What about the Bahamas? It is so great when I see uh, nativity scenes publicly in, in our country on Christmas season. We are saying that Christ is going to be kept in Christmas as much as we can. It's his birth. I love that. You can't have a nativity scene in Canada with baby Jesus in it. Pockets of America, you can't either. But in this commonwealth, because Christians are glorying in God before Christmas and during Christmas and after Christmas, we are saying, don't take Christ out of Christmas. Or in this country, I can't get over it. In restaurants and stores, I go into restaurants and stores, and I'm buying things, they're looking at things, and there's Christian music in the store or the restaurant. I love that. That doesn't happen abroad. Bahamians are saying, we glory in God enough that if I own this business, if I own this restaurant, I'm going to play Christian music that honors Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not. I love that. Or I was on a radio talk show. And why was I on a radio talk show two weeks ago? Because the this production crew of that radio talk show phones pastors all around the city and asks for opening prayer for the nation before the talk show begins. I love that. Christians, in this case, a um, uh, phone-in radio personality, wants to glory in God simply by having preachers pray to God on his talk show before he takes phone calls. When we glory in God in our little part of the world, we can inhibit 
the darkness and the corruption and the decay, we can be salt and light, even as the crowd who was glorying in the miracle and the miracle worker shut up the heavyweights of the Sanhedrin. In closing, let's go back to 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. I love that. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. <laughs> you know right from wrong. You just figure out what you're asking us to do. Isn't it wrong? Even if you don't think it's wrong, we know it's wrong and we're not going to do it. We're not going to shut up. We're going to speak up. I had a very unusual call. I told you about it, I think, last week. I alluded to it. I had a very unusual call. I was at my desk, and a funeral director phoned me. I never heard of the funeral director, never heard of the funeral home. And she said, I've got a family here that wants to do a graveside service Sunday, and they need a clergyman. Would you do the service? She said, but they don't want you to mention anything about Jesus Christ. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. I said, let me get this straight. You're phoning me to see if I'll do a graveside service committal service for a deceased person, and the family won't let me mention Jesus Christ. That's right. You can't mention Jesus Christ. I said, if I can't mention Jesus Christ, I have nothing to share with them. I have no hope for them. I have no comfort for them. I got nothing. I got nothing. And anybody who gets me gets Christ. <laughs> That's how it works. You get me to do a funeral, you get Christ. I'm going to talk about Christ. What I think matters little. What I think, without the Bible... And five bucks gets you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Think about that. <laughs> My opinion without the Bible and without Jesus Christ is worthless. You have to pay for the coffee full, five bucks. And so she said, okay. I said, you know what? I do funerals for funeral directors and families that ask me that I've never heard of, but I can't do this one. But if you have a future situation where you have a family needing a clergyman to do a service, I would be happy to evaluate that and try to help. But in Nassau, in Nassau, there's a family out there that forbids any mention of Jesus Christ in the funeral service of their loved one. And they represent a bunch of other people, I'm sure. But you know what you say? You say to those people, God is the highest judge. You're demanding to me to listen more to you than to God. You say to those people, you ought to know that that's wrong, and I can't be stopped speaking about Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for this paragraph and for these apostles. Thank you for what we learn about standing up to heavyweights who oppose you Give us boldness because we've been with Jesus. We have fellowship with Jesus each day in his word. Give us boldness because we're filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Give us boldness. May it never be said of anyone in our church, they're timid, they're embarrassed, they backed off. Lord, be glorified in our boldness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.